We're here today. I'm back. It's Halloween. Even though you're not listening to this on Halloween, you're listening to Movie Madness with me, Khalil Jamal. And I don't know if I keep moving away from the mic. Uh, Iyad's here. I Hello, hello. My amazing producer and also does all the things that make this happen. And now he's also talking because... Um, because why not? I'm just in such a great mood. There's so much to talk about. I wrote like seven pages of notes. So let's do this thing. You ready? I am. Let's go. So by the way, Yad, how was your weekend week? I haven't eaten or slept in multiple days. So, you know, oh we're my God. living the midterm. I life. would say the same. Midterm season has been, um, it's been an experience. It has been an experience. This past yeah. week has been, uh, it's been quite a bit. That's why. Say. That's why there was no podcast from last oh, yeah. week or two week, two weeks ago, or whatever. When people are listening to this, because see, midterms suck, and oh, yeah. I wrote two seven page essays. It was so much fun, though. I gotta tell you. And then I wrote all the notes for this show. So <laughs> that's great. Anyways, so Iyad, mm-hmm. um, we're doing a giveaway. Did you know that? I don't know if you knew that. I did not actually. I'm finding out right now. So we giving away. So half of of Barbenheimer was Oppenheimer, right? Mm-hmm. And so thanks to our friends at Universal Pictures, we're actually giving away a copy of Oppenheimer, a Blu-ray copy of Oppenheimer on our Instagram at comicboys underscore. No. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> I might want that coffee for myself, actually. I know, you're going to you have to enter the contest then. So, nah. the in, so in order to enter the contest, you got to go to our Instagram at comicboys underscore, okay? And follow the three steps on the pinned post. It, you basically just follow the account, you like the post, and you comment your favorite Christopher Nolan movie. And the Blu-ray actually releases on November 21st. I think the contest, the details are, and it ends a few days before that. Uh, it'll be sent right to you, so you don't have to worry about any of that stuff if you win. And winners will be chosen a, like a day or two after the contest ends. Now, uh, this this I don't know if you know this. This DVD or this Blu-ray has special features, like a whole bunch of them, like a Q&A with the director and a whole bunch of other awesome things. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's got the editor's cut special. Exactly. It's, it's not just a regular copy of the film. And I I'm pretty sure, I'm not confident on this, I'm pretty sure there's a... Uh, a digital code inside so even if you don't like uh physical media which why the hell wouldn't you um there's that too so go enter good luck everyone and now on with the show so we got a first topic and we're doing this in a weird order i know i kind of threw this at you last minute that we're gonna go backwards of topics today because i felt like it um so matthew vaughn the director of X-Men First Class and Kingsman hates art and wants Star Wars to be recast and rebooted with a new cast. Now, I'm not going to lie. I told you the story before we started recording. When I heard what you're about to hear, I threw something at a wall. I was so angry. And so that's likely the reaction to what you're going to hear now. Uh, Iyad, if you can play the thing. Characters that I loved. So if they said to me, we'll reboot, do you want to reboot Star Wars and actually have Luke Skywalker, Solo and Vader and you do your version of it, everyone would say you're an idiot to try, but that would excite me. Oh my God. Um, you you want have a death wish. That's so, that's so scary to even contemplate that recasting. Fun. That's bo- yeah, why not? Bond, do you mind Bond? That's I mean, true, if, that's true. You know, you asked me who's going to play the next Wolverine. That's true. Why are these characters so hallowed that... 
from 77, you can't redo it for a new audience. And that's the story. I mean, Star Wars is the Skywalker family. Yeah. All right. And that's where I think they've gone wrong because they've forgot that it's, you know, and, and, and they've done brilliantly in the TV, but it needs an epic new film. And that's what I would do. I'd go, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but let's bring it on. Because if you want a new generation, make the movie for them. And the old generation can hopefully make it well enough that they go, okay, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So you just heard Matthew Vaughn talking on some podcast. I don't actually remember the name of the podcast. Um, and he was talking about Star Wars, right? And he's like, oh, why are they, why is it so hallowed, whatever he said? You know, you can't, you should be able to recast him like Wolverine or James Bond. First of all, technically speaking for James Bond, it is technically the same character, just different people play them. And it's a, it's a sequential thing, right? Wolverine is in a different universe, also, Marvel's a very different from like, like from Star Wars because that's more of a multiversal thing, right? Like you can see, okay, well, someone else is playing Wolverine, but that's just because that's a different universe, right? Star Wars is very different, right? You can't just recast these characters. You can't just retell. And then the fact that he wants to just retell Star Wars, like you're trying, like the problem is not the characters being recast. The problem with trying to retell Star Wars is the fact that it's Star Wars. You can't just, like, like, the stories themselves are the things that you can't just redo, right? Like, it's not about the characters. It's about the fact that you can't just retell the stories. Because, first of all, if you just retell it exactly the same, then why not just watch the original? This is the same thing that people talk about the live-action remakes that Disney does, right? You're like, well, why do I need a live-action Little Mermaid when I can just watch the animated one if I want the same story, right? Or Lion King or Aladdin, whatever. So then Disney tries to make them a little bit different. Then the problem is this. Well, they're a little bit different now, so what are we kind of doing here, right? Like, the Star Wars stories themselves were the thing, like all the iconic moments, those are the things you can't just redo, right? This is why Harry Potter makes my blood boil as well when they're trying to reboot it, because even though it's not the same, it's pretty similar, because Harry Potter, at least you're basing it on books. Star Wars is based off nothing. Like, people don't realize this. George Lucas wrote Star Wars the first time. Yeah, now they're books, but before they weren't. It, I don't know. This all just sounds really, really messed up. Like... You have to be able to expand beyond your core family in Star Wars, right? That's just how it works. Like, you look at Star Trek, and I don't know or like Star Trek in any way. However, what I do know is they managed to expand beyond what their core kind of group was at the beginning. They managed to make a whole coherent universe where there can be multiple things happening. I don't know why this is so difficult for him to understand. Like... You can want it to re be, be rebooted. The problem is what story are you going to tell, right? Like, unless you're telling a very compelling story where you are you have no issues restarting some of this character development and making... You're kind of erasing Star Wars by rebooting it because there's so much lore has been built out of it. I don't know. Am I making any sense, Iyad? I don't know. It makes sense to me, personally. I'm not the biggest Star Wars enjoyer, but I do know that it is its own niche little thing. That's a little that, bit more than a know, niche thing, but okay. Unchanged is nice as it is. Well, 
I just don't know what story you t- like. Even if you don't like Star Wars, you have to admit that the original story of Star Wars is not something like it's not based off anything, right? You can't just kind of redo it. You're just a racy character development from characters that people love and an entire universe being created around these characters, right? You can't just restart that because oh, I feel like it. Like some of the most iconic film moments, like the Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father thing. I don't know if I'm spoiling Star Wars for anyone at this point, but like you know. That's that. I don't know. That just makes me mad. It's like, look, Matthew Vaughn, you're a great director. Your opinions are terrible. You know, I I don't know. We don't we don't care about what he has to say. He's wrong. That's what I'm gonna end it with. Um, so something else happened. That this me this makes me happy, very happy, because this is a, a franchise I don't like at all. Uh, can you tell me what happened yet? So, Fantastic Beasts has been shelved, thank God. Uh, the attempt to drive a stake into the heart of the Harry Potter brand, aka Fantastic Beasts, which was starring Ezra Miller and Johnny Depp, is finally being put on the shelf, according to its director. Now, the idea was announced for a five-movie plan, but David Yates, the director, said that the plan was... Always a trilogy, and J.K. Rowling just scooped everything and announced a five-movie series. And so, as well, a company as Warner Brothers just rolled with it. Because, yes, because yeah. that's what you do, right? Like, if you're, if <laughs> What you, else are you going to do? If you have a company, right, and you're, you're a massive studio... And you're like, okay, we're with this. Our plan for this is is three movies. We got the director on board. We're doing a trilogy, right? And then the and then J.K. Rowling, who's basically irrelevant at this point with all of her remarks, uh, which are uh, troubling to say the least, and you know to say the worst, deeply homophobic, uh, and and deeply transphobic, and all this other and all the other phobias, um, decides, you know, I'm just gonna announce right before, and this is like true from David Yates from the story, right? I'm just going to announce that we're doing five movies instead of three because I want to do five movies because and then even even more. This was like right. I think the way he said it was, it was right before the announcement, which means what he what Warner Bros as a, as a competent studio did said, you know, we really didn't want to do five movies. Let's just say we're, go, we're let's just roll with it instead of saying, no, no, no we're doing three movies or we're going to start with three movies and maybe do two more. So now if you don't if you are familiar with the Fantastic Beasts, OK? I'll be honest with you. The first one was fine. I don't have you seen the Fantastic Beast movies? No, I've actually not. Good, don't. Um, <laughs> so the first one was fine. I watched it. You know, I'm a Harry Potter fan, right? So, of course, there's a new Harry Potter thing. I'm going to go watch it, right? I went to watch it in theaters, actually. It wasn't that bad. Um, it made $816 million worldwide, had a 74% Rotten Tomatoes score, and a 79% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, not... Not a great movie, not a bad movie, just something like, it, it's good. It almost made a billion dollars. That's pretty good, right? Now, the second one was a disaster. Now, it did make a solid $656 million. I don't think I've ever had less fun watching a movie about magical people before. Um, and it had an abysmal 36% critic score and a 56% audience score. And if you don't know the way the audience scores typically work with Rotten Tomatoes, it's very, like, there's the majority of people who write uh, reviews, they don't c- care about the quality of films as long as they're mildly entertaining, right? Which is why, unless there's some weird trolling thing going on, which there is from time to time, if you're entertained throughout, you're going to have basically like a 75 or higher audience score because people really don't hate it that much, right? Like, people are very, okay, I'm going to insult my entire audience here. Ready for this? 
people are kind of like goldfish, right? You know, they'll, they'll see something shiny and they'll be like, oh, cool, that's cool. And then they'll kind of move on, right? So for the most part, you know, people, right, audience scores when they thought something was entertaining, right? They, they don't have the ability to think beyond that, which is why I think half of film criticism is all stupid because no one cares anyways. But the moral of the story is it, the fact that it had a 56% audience score means it had to be really, really, really bad. Now... The third one, because they did, somehow, that was not enough for them. No, no, they made a third one, okay? And I have not seen this third one, I should say. Uh, my sister has seen it. She enjoyed it, apparently. Um, I refused to watch it because I have better things to do with my time. But it made a $407 million worldwide. So you've basically lost $400 million since the first one in terms of like what you're making. It had a 46% critic score, which is slightly better. And it had a nostalgia-filled 80% or 86% audience score. Now, the reason I say nostalgia-filled is because they had brought Dumbledore back and there was a whole bunch of other cameos. And cameos typically do bump audience scores a little bit because, again, people, goldfish, quality doesn't matter, just seeing shiny things that, of characters they used to like. So that is the story of the Fantastic Beasts. Now... They didn't, they did, David Yates did say, yeah, I've really talked to anyone about it. We're just shelving it for now. Oh my God, I don't think I've ever heard anything better. Now, Harry Potter's not getting shelved because they're obviously, we've talked, we talked about this on episode one. They're rebooting Harry Potter, right? And so, you know, Fantastic Beast, which by the way, I've been saying, if you've been listening to me since, you know, the first one was announced, I've been saying this is a stupid, stupid idea. And anyone who actually thought, thinks that making a movie about, people completely disconnected from the harry potter franchise right like we talked about star wars a minute ago at least star wars is still relatively connected right you're seeing characters you remember they literally didn't do that they they just brought some irrelevant characters when you could have done a sequel right the cursed child exists it could be adapted for film you could have brought back the entire team but instead you chose to do this stupid thing which was by the way technically the name of the of the movie is based off of a like a book about the beasts in Harry Potter. It's a really dumb movie. And the title is even worse. And the cast and crew is problematic at best. So I think that this was probably the right idea. Um, David Eads has done a decent job directing it, but I just, you know, there's not much you can work with when your script is awful, 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 and the actors are, for the most part, pretty, pretty abysmal as well. I don't know. I'm happy that they're shel- it's, they're shelving it. I don't know if there's anyone who's going to be really sad that they're shelving it. So, you know, I I, I don't really have much else to say on that. I, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else on that one, but... I mean, I think you've touched on everything that we've been thinking, but yeah. So, now, do you like watching movies in theaters? Um, For some, yes. For some specific movies, yes. Now, has there ever been this moment, okay, and you can be honest here, the audience is, you know, I'm sure very able to relate to this. Is there ever been a moment you watched a movie and you needed to go pee? Yeah, 100%. Now, what do you do, like, what do you do in those situations? Do you just kind of wait it out? Depends how much I do. If I really need to, I get up and leave. If I don't, then it's okay. We stay for a bit. So... I'll tell you the story, okay? So when I went to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I had to really go pee, okay? And I didn't want to get up. I don't know. Am I allowed to say pee on the podcast? I don't know. Okay, cool. I don't know what the rules are. Um, so I had to go to the washroom. Um, 
I wanted to I get up and, and go. But the movie was good, right? And it wasn't even that long. I think it was two hours, 45 minutes, uh, if, if, if around that range, if my head makes um, any sense. So, you know, and I also have someone, I'm also someone who like doesn't like long movies because, you know, focusing on long movies is very, very hard because it, there's almost always a situation where you don't need to like wait, right? But that movie is really good. And so I waited. I don't, I watched it again later, right? I don't think I enjoyed it nearly as much when I had to go to the washroom during the actual movie. I was also freezing because the theater was really cold and I forgot to bring a jacket. Um, so the, or a sweater or anything. So, you know, when you're comfortable and you're watching a movie, I think it's a lot more fun. Now, the other question I'm asking you is, have you ever run out of like popcorn or a drink at the movie and you'd be like, I wish I could go get more food? Um, I'm not the biggest popcorn enjoyer at the theater just because... What about like water? I do think that uh, at the theater, sometimes it's a scam. But when I do buy it, yes, sometimes I do like a refill. Or a drink, like water. Or, or a drink, actually, yeah. Um, so, look, I, I think these are all great things, right? Look, I had something to go to the washroom during movies. Um, you know, normally I try to go before the movie, but still, you know, when you're drinking and eating, you know, eventually then you have to go to the washroom again, right? That's just how your body works, I think. I'm not a biologist. I'm just assuming that's correct. So... Now, the reason I'm talking about my bathroom schedule and all this other stuff is because some theaters are getting in trouble. Now, do you know why they're getting in trouble? Actually, do you want to tell everyone why they're getting in trouble? So, they're getting in trouble because they're pausing the movie Killers of the Flower Moon for eight minutes. So, they're taking a bit of a break in the movie because it runs for over three hours. Right. So... I um I think this is the thing that kind of bugs me when with so basically I'll tell you the story of what happened right so basically they did this a few small theaters did this because you know they like their audience I guess and they want them to not suffer and they don't want people to have to miss the movie because obviously you get scared of missing the movie if you have to go to the washroom and leave in the middle of the movie right so you're like okay they're like okay we're just gonna pause this for like eight minutes we'll do like a a de facto kind of intermission right because it's a long movie it's over three hours right. And people enjoyed it. People would go, they'd go to the washroom, they'd get, you know, new food, snacks, drinks, whatever, right? You just stretch their legs, get up, you know, so you don't like, you know, lose the ability to walk at the end of a movie, right? It's all these logical, logical things. Someone took a picture of the, the, like the, the screen when it said intermission or whatever and posted it online. Now, because studio executives and, and people who make movies have nothing better to do, they found it on, on, on the internet. And, they they forced the theater to stop um to stop show doing the intermission and the theater apparently there've been a few theaters that have done this a lot of them in the US I don't know about any Canada that are doing this uh there's also very few independent theater chains in Canada shout out Cineplex um so there is like this situation where they're forced to stop show like this eight minute thing it's eight minutes it's not like okay we're stopping for half an hour right it's very minimal in the grand scheme of things because they feel like it's ruining art now i don't know about you but i think we need to normalize like the eight to ten minute breaks during three hour movies like we are people like if you want people to enjoy a movie then why not just tell let them go to the washroom for like 
eight to 10 minutes. Like we're not asking for an hour. I just think it makes perfect logical sense, right? And if you're so concerned about like the art or the flow, then you know what you should do studios? And I'm talking to you right now. You just have to, you know, put the break in your actual movie. Like it's, again, you can't tell me that there isn't a point where you can just say, okay, this is a good kind of midpoint of the movie. Let's put a break in. Every Broadway play or every play, I don't know if you've ever seen any plays on, on stage, they always have breaks in them. Like, they're put into the play. It's like, this is the end of a scene. Oh, we're at about the halfway point of the movie or the or the play, sorry. Uh, let's just let everyone take a little bit of a break, right? Like, this happens everywhere in every aspect. Like, when you're making people sit for that long, you can't expect them to just not have to, you know, do anything, you know, during that time. And also, I think the other thing it would do is it would help decrease phone usage in the theater, right? Because, you know, if you have the chance to te- check your text messages in the middle of a movie, maybe you're less likely to do it during the actual movie if you know, okay, I'm only watching an hour and a half of this, let's say, and then I'm watching another hour and a half after I get a little bit of a break. Because at the end of the day, the reality is people, and I know, I'm sure you've observed this, people just don't know how to stay off their phone in the theater, right? So maybe if you give them, and again, if it's an hour, 45 minutes, even a two-hour, 45-minute movie... That doesn't matter, right? What I'm talking about is when the movie gets to like three, four, because eventually movies are going to get longer than that too, right? Like there's a lot of directors. Look, we, we hear Avatar 2 has an eight-hour cut right now. I obviously won't end up in theaters as eight hours because no theater would ever play that because as I've said before, theaters, when they play things, they have to think about how many times they can get a movie shown before the – like in a day in that theater, right? If you're playing an eight-hour movie, you're showing one film, one screening of a movie, so they would never do that because they wouldn't make any money off of it, right? Like, imagine you go to a theater, it, one screening room is taken up the entire day because of a movie. Like, that's ridiculous. So, you know, but things are going to get longer. Like, three-and-a-half-hour movies are not that far away. We're at, you know, some of these movies are getting to three-hour, 20 minutes. Where three-hour movies are normalized. Like, two years ago, three-hour movies were not a normal thing in theaters, Right? Now, after Endgame, uh, which was a few years ago, now you got Oppenheimer, you got Killers of Flower Moon. Like, Killers of Flower Moon is three hours. Like, what's next, right? And I think we do have to be aware that people are going to need the break. And if you don't want to put it in your movie, I think there was a debate when Endgame came out, uh, Avengers Endgame, if there should be an intermission in that, right? And it ended up being a no, but I think there was a logical... Like, I think there was a reason to do it. I think people do benefit from a break, even if it is just to kind of refocus. You don't lose anything. It isn't really ruining the art. And if you think it is, then you're just dumb. I don't know what else to say. Um, but I don't know. I just think we should normalize it. What do you think, Iyad? So now, interestingly enough, back where I'm from in Egypt, they actually do breaks in every theater. So the first time that ever happened, that was quite interesting for me because back where I actually live they don't do the breaks just the same as here the movies played on but um when I witness the breaks I feel as though for long movies such as this it is necessary I didn't know the movie was over three hours I thought it was just three but over three hours yes I require at least one break if not maybe two that's it's a little too much to be sitting down for one time. Yeah, even um, there's a movie I can't remember the name of it now, 
and I did Babylon. That was what it came out December of last year, right? I went to this movie and I didn't know how long it was. Uh, I later found out it was three hours, uh, over three hours. So you know that's kind of the situation that we're in um, with some of these movies, and I think we should normalize the breaks. Like I don't know. I like. A- am I wrong here? I think it's perfectly reasonable. Honestly, if uh, if the movie does reach three hours, I think, yeah, a break is necessary. Just 10 minutes, nothing too much, but enough. And, you know, and the other thing I was thinking was like, when I was thinking about this last night, I was like, you know, they they offer screenings. Like, I don't know if you, like when you look at like, let's say the Cineplex website, right? They offer like 3D, they offer non-3D, right? They offer different frame rates of films, right? They do all of this other stuff. They give you so many options. Why can't they just give you the option of having the eight-minute intermission, right? Like, you don't have to force everyone to have a break. If people want to watch the movie all the way through and they don't want an eight-minute break, then just offer it. You might actually be able to expand your audience to people who are willing to watch, you know, a movie with that they would not watch in theaters with an intermission, right? Like, it's not a... I don't know. I think it's a very dumb thing if studios you know, force theaters not to do because what they'll do is they just threaten to pull the movie. Um, but I, I don't know. I just think this makes sense. I mean, I'm pretty sure Dubai also has intermissions for a lot of their movies. Um, I'm sure there's other countries that do it. Um, I, again, it feels like a very normal thing. So I think we should just, I don't know. I just don't think we should make, like, it shouldn't be that weird that there's like, you know, an intermission in a movie. I don't know. Feels like a very weird thing for theaters to complain about, or sorry, studios to complain about. I don't know if you have anything else to say on that, but uh, no, I think yeah, we we covered it all. You know, it is kind of weird that they don't want you to take a break. I know I, it's I like agree. they hate people. Um, so now, have you heard of this person, Britney Spears? Of course. Okay, so she, apparently she sings. I didn't know that till last night. Um, I'm I'm kidding. Okay, <laughs> I I knew that totally. Okay. Um. So, their studios currently are in a bidding war. Now, studios who, as of the recording of this podcast, have refused to pay their actors. Um, although, it looks like we're getting very close to a deal, which is why I'm not talking about the strike at all, except for this one little mention of it. But, studios are in a bidding war for Britney Spears' mem- memoir, The Woman in Me. Okay? And they want to turn it, into a movie, TV series, or documentary. Now, obviously, the only person who wants to turn that into a documentary is PBS. Uh, I don't know this for a fact. This is supposed to be a joke, uh, but PBS can't afford it, so we're fine. Uh, so if someone's going to turn it into a movie or a TV show, I'm just assuming that. And the... So I didn't know who Britney Spears was. Apparently, she sang a, lot, a bunch of songs, but I didn't know she played Britney Spears in Austin Powers. So that was, um, you know, a very interesting thing. Now, I don't really have an opinion on this. I just wanted to more talk about kind of some of the hysteria. I don't actually, I've ne- I haven't read this memoir. I'm assuming you haven't read her memoir either. Um, apparently, it's about her life, which is what a memoir is. So that would make a lot of sense. Um, I, yeah, I'm just, I don't really have an opinion on this. I wanted to mention it because I wanted to show people I knew who Britney Spears was. I don't really care that much. The one thing, and I didn't actually think about this, but it would have been a good thing to think about or actually come up with a list. If they did make this a movie, it'd be interesting to see who they got to play Britney Spears. 
because obviously the movie not star her, right? Because it's about her. That would be an interesting topic, and I don't know. I didn't come up with a list of people, which would have been a smart thing to do had I, you know, prepared. So that's my opinion on Britney Spears, and that's my opinion on the memoir. It's gonna they're gonna someone's gonna pay a lot of money to make a movie about her life, and she deserves that, I guess. I don't know. Do you have any opinions on this? Um, not really. Again, not the biggest, biggest Britney Spears fan, but I have. Heard I knew who a she few. was after I googled her. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I I know a few of the popular ones, you know, but that's that's pretty much it. But yeah, no, I do agree that someone will pay a lot of money to make this into a movie or show. And people pay a lot of movie like money to see it. So oh know. yeah. Oh yeah, so you could definitely capitalize on that market and there. When someone pays an obscene amount of money, we will definitely be telling you all about it. But until then, I don't know, Absolutely. and I don't want to even guess how much money because every time I try to do this, I'm always really, really, really wrong. So I'm not even gonna bother. Now, this one's a little bit of a doozy. Okay, now you know that because you, yeah, you 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 know that because you know you can see how much writing there is on the paper. So, Marvel TV. As of June 2023, the last Marvel TV show's season premieres, so the amount of viewers they got on the first episodes, or the premieres of all these seasons, are as follows. Miss Marvel had 0.78 million, which, by the way, of all the Disney Plus Marvel shows, is the lowest uh, viewership for a season premiere. Secret Invasion had 0.99 million. Now, this show also had a 54% Rotten Tomato score, a 48% audience score, um, which is a low for critic scores. Um, not count The 54% is a critic score low for Marvel TV, not counting in humans, which no one counts. The She-Hulk show had 1.5 million um, viewers, which is significantly better than the other two shows, but had a 32% audience score, which is a TV audience score low. Uh, again, not counting in humans, which no one actually counts. And I, th I'm not 100% sure about this one. I don't know, but Miss or Captain Marvel may have had a lower audience score, but that was all trolls. Maybe she Hulk was too. I don't know. But either way, clearly. When I tell you those numbers, yeah, do you not see a problem there when you have these low, low numbers for premieres of these I new shows? I do, actually. The, I've been noticing the trend for a little bit now, but uh, what is the reason? What is the cause? So, wait, do you have you watched any of these shows, by the way? Um, any of the Disney mm, Marvel stuff? I watched um, Captain Marvel. I watched the movie. So, you haven't seen any of the TV shows? Uh, the t No, no, just clips online, I guess, but never an actual episode. Okay, so... You're not alone, as you can see from these numbers. And, you know, I was going to give people a deep dive into, like, Disney's, uh, how they're losing so much money from Disney Plus and all this other stuff, but I wanted to spare everyone the boring, boring numbers. So, basically, I'm going to tell you a little story about how TV shows are made, okay? So, well, first of all, uh, let's diagnose the problem first. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm not reading the script. I should be reading the script. Okay. So, you know what the problem is? Because you, you said you noticed a problem, right? I'll tell you what the problem is. As someone who's seen all these shows. The TV shows have been received poorly. 
in part because they don't seem to have a direction. And what I mean by that is this, right? You start one of these shows, and I'll use Secret Invasion because that was the one that kind of stuck out in my mind the most for this, right? It started off really, really good. And I also am very much active on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. So I also see all the people talking about it here, and I can tell you everything I'm feeling is accurate to the general uh, internet population, which is not a good metric of anything, but, you know, that's what we're going with. Uh, as I see you roll your eyes. Um... So the so Secret Invasion starts off really, really well, right? You're like, oh my God, is this the best Marvel project ever? You know, it's got this kind of spy thrillery thing. You're like, I haven't seen something this good since the Winter Soldier, right? You get through the first three episodes, you're kind of, it's, get it, it's going to build up, it's going to be great. Oh my God, there's so many of these plot lines. What are they going to do? What are the kind of, you know, kind of, how's it going to go? You're very intrigued, right? Then you kind of get toward the middle of the show. Then you're like, oh my God, they're going to really end this well. And then you're like, wait a second. They only have one episode left. Wait, what? How? How? Or two episodes left? How? How are they gonna do this? And then you, then you're like, okay, they're gonna have some crazy log episode. Nope, they barely hit an hour. Okay, so they're gonna set up for a, se- a se- season two. Nope, it's a one-off thing. Um, so how are they gonna end this then? Well, I'll tell you how they end it. They end it by rushing through every single plot line and finding the laziest, most like obvious ways to end things. And they do it all in a series of events which don't make any sense because they're all rushed. Now, when I sit back then at the end of that show and I'm like, you know, it started off really well. I enjoyed it. But they didn't seem to know what they were doing. And so I couldn't get confirmation on this and I did try. Um, and I probably did get confirmation. I just didn't look to see if I got confirmation on this. Um but I'm pretty sure Marvel mandates a TV, an episode number, or at least a maximum episode number before they even write the show. Because my opinion with TV shows is very simple, right? And with cable, it was different because you had to kind of fill a whole section of TV. So you kind of had to lengthen things, right? With streaming, you don't have to do that, right? Because with cable, obviously, again, I'm explaining this because I'm assuming there's people who are listening to this who don't know how cable works. But you turn on the TV and then there's like a show that's playing, right? And it's kind of filling a time slot, right? You watch it live, and then there's another show after that fill that fills the next time slot, right? And you kind of just keep doing that. So you have to have the show fill a certain time slot. Uh, I'm assuming you know how cable works, so I don't have to, you know. So when you're doing that, you have to kind of fit a certain number of seasons because you got a certain length of a TV season, like of a season you have to have a show for, right? So that's what you end up with the normal 24-ish episode structure. Now with streaming, it's different because you can just watch it whenever you want, right? So you don't have to fill any mandated kind of, I guess, number of, you know, episodes. So when that, because of that, my opinion for TV is very simple. Just make make as many episodes as needed to tell the story you're trying to tell. Like, come up with a story and then just tell it. And if it takes 10 episodes, great. If it takes three episodes, even better, right? And... The second you try to expand things, then you get the cable problem of, oh my god, we got seven filler episodes in the season because we don't have anything to talk about or any way to kind of move this plot forward, right? So this is this is the problem with these shows, right? It, it feels like Marvel kind of manages them and says, okay, we, we want this to be six episodes or we want this to be ten episodes max. Now go tell your story, right? Now, they also don't operate their TVs division like a tv studio they operate like a movie studio okay and i don't know if you know this yet but movies and tv they're different they're done differently um showrunners are the most important person in when making a tv series okay 
these people are, you know, uh, unlike a movie producer, they control the entire vision, but they're also much more hands-on, right? Movie producers typically are a little bit more, again, it, it's movie dependent, but are a little bit more step back, right? Like with Marvel, their producers are Kevin Feige and friends, and they kind of are a little bit, you know, backward. They, they look at the bigger picture, right? They kind of say, okay, we want kind of a few of these things to happen, but they're a little bit less hands-on, right? Showrunners are very different with the TV series. They have the entire vision of the show from start to finish, and they're there kind of from the start to the finish of the show, right? They they can write or direct, and often they do write and direct, although depending on the showrunner, they don't have to. Now, Marvel has makes their movies kind of with Kevin and Friends and then kind of the directors, right? Like, you kind of... Kevin and Friends is the producers, then you have the directors who have more of a day-to-day role, and then at the end, if things don't work, they just kind of go back in post-production and do reshoots and they kind of just make it all work together and you get a competent two, two and a half, three hour, whatever movie, right? And that that works for the movies. Now, with TV shows, they said, okay, we're going to try to do this differently. We're going to try to do the exact same thing. We're going to try to do different than TV is normally done. We're going to do the exact same thing we do with movies. But with TV, the way it has always worked is you you commission a pilot that's why when you watch a show and you know like you're looking at the episode title of the first episode and it's called pilot it's not because that's the name of the episode that's because that was the pilot episode right that was the one they submitted and they said this is the vision for the show right they also submit show bibles by the way if you want to know what a show bible is and i'll go into a little bit of detail but typically they contain the entire outline of the show slash the series and the purpose is for continuity right so like if there is a new writer that's on a show it's kind of like a detailed reference tool and uh, it kind of goes through all the character profiles, episode plots, and themes. Now, I did put the link to the, sh- the Grey's Anatomy show Bible in the description of this podcast if you want to look at like what an actual show Bible looks like uh, because some of those are released online. But basically, it just if you have multiple seasons and you have different writers and directors, then you just need to have coherency and that's how you do it, right? You kind of say, this is our vision. This is what we want to do. Now kind of just make it work. Does that not sound logical? It does to me. So you think it's very logical, right? And so you get a, so typically the way a show pitch works is the showrunner would come in with a, with a pilot episode and with a, you know, or they come with the pitch, the show Bible, right? Then they'd be told, okay, go make a pilot. They'd go make a pilot. And then they'd come back to the pilot, and then they'd watch the then the studio would watch the pilot, right? And then they'd be like, you know, this is great. Or, man, this sucks. And then they'd say, okay, we're not gonna invest any money in this, bye. Or we're gonna go in a different direction, right? That again, does this not all sound reasonable? It does to me, yeah. So when so because Marvel films TV shows like they film movies, they don't commission pilots. Instead, and I'm. This is directly from a Hollywood Reporter article, actually, about this. So I know this is factual. They they just start filming from filming a hundred fifty million dollar series on the fly. They just say, "Ah, you have an idea? Okay, cool. Go start shooting it." Right now, does that sound stupid? It does. Right, and it is. Uh, they don't hire showrunners. They get film executives, like for example, I, you know, they they all the people kind of in the in the kind of you know the middle of the planning of the movies right they kind of have them do go between both now tv shows require a lot more because the so if you go through a tv series any tv series and you go to the director's list right 
there's a lot of directors for some of these shows. The reason is because directors have a lot of things going on. And also sometimes you just want to change it up just for fun. Right. And sometimes you want to, you know, I know like with some of the shows, they have the cast direct episodes sometimes. Right. Directors jobs on TV shows are very limited. Right. And I've actually talked to multiple directors who've done some of these bigger series shows and uh, especially for DC. And what they've said is, yeah, we, we don't really watch the show. We don't really have time to watch, you know, if it's a seven-season show when we come on to watch seven seasons. We've kind of watched the episode before. But for the most part, the showrunners, the writers have a lot of power, right? Which is not the case in movies because in movies, there's one typically one director from beginning to end, right? And so Marvel kind of just runs with things. And so for She-Hulk, they had writer Jessica Gao write the show, okay? Great showrunner. She's done a bunch of things. And then they pushed her away because director uh, Kat Corio was hired. And they kind of just said, okay, now you're in charge, right? They did a very similar thing to, with Secret Invasion. When Secret Invasion was falling apart because there was issues create, creatively, uh, there was some scheduling conflicts, There was a, basically the show looked like it was going to collapse, right? They brought in Jonathan Schwartz, who was one of the inside people kind of in the Marvel Studios planning kind of direction planning committee. And he kind of came in and got the show back on track. Now, I'm just going to name, or actually, I'm going to get you to do this because uh, I. So, can you just name some of the people on, on this on the list of, of showrunners, of very famous showrunners, by the way? So, uh, the showrunners are Kenya Barris. So, the showrunner, Kenya Barris, who did the ish universe, and by ish, I mean blackish, grownish, mixed ish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pretty, pretty. I don't know if you've seen any of those shows, but they're all pretty uh, good shows. I personally have not, but uh, yeah. And then there is Greg Berlinetti. So Greg Berlinetti um, is the showrunner for the entire DCCW universe and also a whole bunch of other things. So he is probably one of the most, he has some of the most shows, I think, of any current showrunner. I'm not 100% sure about that one, but probably. So he does the Superman and Lois, Gotham Knights, The Flash, Titans, Doom Patrol, Stargirl, Batwoman, and more, Arrow, Flash, I said Flash. Um, but he also is getting paid $400 million through, I think it was four years with Warner Bros. So hmm. uh, he's got two years left on that deal. So he he also, you know, is allowed to be busy because he's getting paid a lot of money to be busy. Yeah. And who's the, who's the last person on this list? One of my favorite showrunners, personally. And then there is Shonda Rhimes. So Shonda Rhimes is ABC's favorite showrunner. Uh, she was the showrunner on shows such as For the People, The Catch, How to Get Away with Murder, Station 19, Brid- The Bridgerton Verse, and oh yeah, that, that show Grey's Anatomy. I don't know if you've heard of that one before. It's a mm-hmm. pretty popular show, apparently. I've not seen it, but you know, it's about doctors. So these are people who, when I say those names, I'm sure they ring a bell, and if they don't ring a bell, then when I say the project they worked on, they definitely ring a bell, right? And these people are very important to TV. Now, uh, Brian, wait, did I even tell people about what happened with this thing? I don't even know. I might have missed like the entire point. Oh, no, I didn't. I talked to Marvel Studios and the fact that they don't know how to make TV shows. So the person in charge of Marvel's TV division, kind of big picture, uh, his name is um, Brian Winderbaum, I think. And I know his last name is Winderbaum, but I realized that none of the quotes actually have his first name. So... Just tell me what he thought about what he said when kind of confronted with some of this, the realities of TV shows. So he said, 
It's a term we've not only grown comfortable with, but also learned to embrace. And so when he's talking about this, he's talking about Marvel TV's intention to hire showrunners. So I want you to just go back to that quote for a second. He said, it's a term we've not only grown comfortable with, but learned to embrace. Hello, this is how you make a TV show. I don't know what there is to embrace or grow comfortable with. Now, he also says something else. What, what does he say? And apparently this is a very, you know, revelatory thing for him. Mm. So he also said, we need executives that are dedicated to this medium that are going to focus on streaming focus on television because they are two different forms. Who knew that? Who, who saw that one coming? Uh, did they talk to anyone in the TV business? I don't know if they did, but because it seems like this is the first time they're realizing, wait a second, TV is not movies. They're different things. So now there's a reason I'm, t- I'm saying all this, okay? So Marvel, a few months ago, basically vowed to make changes. Or less than a few months ago. It might have been a few weeks ago at this point. I don't know. Dates are, time is a relative concept, okay? Uh, they decided that they want to make some changes. They reevaluated the Daredevil soft reboot. By the way, if you want to know how dysfunctional this was, like as a concept, what I'll tell you is this. They they decided they wanted Daredevil to be something more action-oriented, like the Netflix show, instead of the procedural legal drama it was kind of shaping up to be. I think it wasn't until episode four or five when you actually got to see Daredevil in costume, and they were like, this isn't going to work. So after filming, and now you might, you might blow, this might blow your mind, after filming eight, episodes of the series that is when they decided that this was a problem so if you want me so no they didn't commission a pilot they said oh give us the first 18 episodes so that's a lot of money to waste on a show if it doesn't work and then now imagine having to go back because remember unlike uh, unlike uh, movies the TV shows are a very different space right and so I guess what we end up seeing is we end up seeing that, you know, you have to kind of make these decisions well in advance. You can't wait till you're, you know, 18 hours into a show. Movies are two hours. It's very different. So they end up firing Chris Ord and Matt Corman, who are who did covert affairs and containment. Uh, They were the head writers of the show. They also released the directors for the remainder of the season. And they have brought in a new experienced showrunner in Dario Scardapane, who was the showrunner for Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan and the Netflix Marvel show, The Punisher. By the way, the worst one of of the group, The Punisher. But look, he's someone who knows how to do an action show. He worked in the Netflix Marvel space. He knows how to bring that tone. They also brought in veteran Marvel TV fixers Justin Benson and Aaron uh, Moorhead, who are the co-directing team behind four episodes of Loki Season 2, two episodes of Moon Knight, and other indie movies such as Something in the Dirt, which I reviewed um, on the YouTube space. So that is the story where we are now. They're going to probably keep working it through. I think the moral of the story here is this. They realized they were doing something dumb, and they kind of fixed it and i think we're all happy that they did and hopefully you know daredevil isn't ruined because of all the changes i wish they kept it as a procedural legal drama but i understand why they weren't doing that or why they aren't going to do that but you know it is what it is 
But I don't know. I think those are very logical changes. What do you think? I think they are because it is important to make the distinction between TV shows and movies because, like you're saying, it seems though they have been treating them as one entity when in reality they are completely different and need their own modems to work. And you need someone there from beginning to end who could tell you, look, this is what we plan on doing because otherwise you get lost, right? That's just what happens. And we Absolutely. See, and even though even though movies are different, Star Wars like is a little bit similar in, in the sense that you saw them doing the trilogy, right? The new trilogy, and they had a whole bunch of different directors, no di no di real direction, and it worked badly. Like, it, it was not kind of... It didn't flow properly movie to movie, right? Now, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a rapid fire here because I know we're getting close on time, um, but worst case scenario, I know you'll be able to do some magical stuff to edit this so it's coherent, so I'm, I'm not worried. But... We're we'll talk a little bit about the weekend box office and 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 movies because there's a few things that really surprised me. So, the first thing I want to talk about is Five Nights at Freddy's. Okay, this movie I've not seen this movie. Uh, midterm season, not gonna go run to a theater, even though I live across the street from one. But that's besides the point. So this is a movie which is based on a game by the same name. I had a friend who I'm gonna try to pull either on this podcast or another podcast because. He was a huge Five Nights at Freddy's fr fan, so I want to hear what his opinion on the movie was. But I think this was probably the biggest surprise of the weekend. I know that because I'm doing a fantasy movie league with a few other people, and um, which is like fantasy football but for movies. And they just picked up that they just dropped something that got pushed, and they picked up Five Nights at Freddy's before the weekend. So they, because they're trying to crawl back into this, so. It opened up to $78 million, which puts it at the uh, second all-time for the biggest domestic opening weekend for video game movies. Uh, so if you want to know number one on that list, it was Super Mario Bros., which opened at $146 million, which was, of course, earlier this year. And then Sonic 2 and Sonic are also on that list. Detective Pikachu, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, Uncharted, and Angry Birds. That's kind of the top ten, I think. I can't count, and I didn't put numbers on the list. But Five Nights at Freddy's also saw the biggest domestic opening for Halloween weekend. And at number two for that list is twenty uh, Saw 3D, which made $24 million. Now, this movie is also made on a budget of $25 million, this um, Five Nights at Freddy's. And it opened up worldwide with $130 million. So I'm going to do some math for you, and I did it in advance because I can't do math on the spot, right? So basically, based on the formula which is on the sheet, which... Yeah, I can attest to actually works. Um, you can, right? You, you see it there? There's numbers? Yep, I'm the numbers all make, match up. Okay, I'm not making up numbers. Okay, so the profit of this movie is $40 million after one weekend. Approximately, because there's a whole bunch of other weird things, but generally it's just half the number minus the budget because theaters take half the profits. $40 million after your first weekend is a pretty pretty good situation, I think, right? So... The other intriguing thing, which was from this, was that five from this Five Nights at Freddy's kind of craziness, ninety four percent of the audience was under the age of thirty five. Like that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Kind of, so, sort of. I don't actually, know. Yeah. That kind of blew my mind when I saw that. It was like that's like a very young audience. Obviously, it's an R rated. Like typically with R rated movies, the way it works is they are. Their ceiling is not as profitable as, you know, 
any other movie, which is why studios try to avoid them, right? Because with R-rated movies, instantly, at least in most cases, under people under 18 are just not allowed in, right? Like, unless they're with an adult or whatever, right? So there's a whole bunch of people who, you know, you kind of think teenagers, right? Kind of up until you're 18, right? From, like, let's say 13 to 18, right? That's a big segment of movie-watching population. Typically, they can't watch movies like this by themselves, and they're not going with a parent, right? So that audience doesn't really show up. For, you have a lot of older people who go to R-rated movies, right? And now, apart from Deadpool, where there was some questionable parenting going on uh, with people bringing, like, five-year-olds to Deadpool. I don't know if you've seen Deadpool, but it's not a movie for five-year-olds. I I have, actually. I, I saw the first one. That's what I'm talking about, the first one, yeah. Yeah, I heard that people were bringing their kids, and I, I was simply shocked, to I don't say know. the least. Do you, do you think that's a movie that five-year-olds should be watching? I don't, I don't no, know that one, yeah. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so, but this is something where it's a horror movie, not a comedy, and 94% of the audience for it was under the age of 35, which means the 18 to 25 demo was a massive hit for them, I'm assuming. I don't actually have the actual, I couldn't find the actual number breakdown, like age bracket, bracket wise, but I'm going to guarantee the 18 to 25 killed on that. And speaking of massive surprises and money, this movie, Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie. Now, I couldn't pull the clip in. Maybe when you're editing this, you can, you can, I'll find it, send it to you. But I made some sort of promise about when I would watch this thing. And it hit a, it had to hit a certain amount of money. It might have it might have been a hundred million dollars. I'm not sure. Again, maybe you just heard the if you're listening to this now, maybe you just heard the replay of the clip. So whatever it is, I will pull it and I will, you know, consider owning up to what I said uh, in the, in the, in I think episode two of the podcast. But it has reached two hundred and three million dollars. And this movie was made on a budget of fifteen million dollars. So again, doing math, and I didn't put the math here because I just did it, um, it had a profit of $85 million. Now, again, two weekends of Taylor Swift and $85 million, or two-ish weekends, maybe it was three weekends, of Taylor Swift, $85 million. Make it, by the way, fun fact, the most profitable film of the year. It is the most profitable film of the year with a budget of $15 million and already having a profit of $85 million. That's crazy, right? Yeah, no. Uh, the The Taylor Swift fan base is uh, simply incredible. I know it's it's kind of scary, and Ameri- mainly the American slash Canadian fan base, which we'll talk about in a minute. But Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie is now worldwide within striking distance. Okay, because it's at two hundred three million as of um, as of the today, and by the time you listen to this, it might be even higher than that. It might have passed these movies. So. Flash worldwide grossed two hundred sixty six million, and Creed three worldwide grossed two hundred seventy four million. It is legitimately within one or two weeks the potentially able to surpass both those movies. Think about that. That is shocking. So, and this movie seventy seven percent of its money was made in the domestic market, and which means can in the U S. Which is kind of crazy because it seems like this movie is not being as dominant kind of worldwide like the tour has been. Um, which means I'm now kind of interested in what the tour, like where the people who are going to the tour are from initially. And if Taylor Swift is actually a worldwide phenomena or if it's just a American kind of phenomena, uh, I'm being told to wrap it up and I have to do one last thing and I'm going to do this one really quickly. Okay. So Susan May is back in theaters and I have to talk about it quickly. Uh, so Susan May is this 17 year old girl. It's an anime. Uh, she lives in a town. She meets a random stranger on a journey 
who is looking for doors, apparently, and she thinks she knows him from somewhere and is also obsessed with him as many people as many uh, people in anime are. So she goes to follow him because I guess why not? She goes into a magical world, awakens an evil snake thing. Anyways, there's a whole bunch of things that happen. Uh, the guy who she's obsessed with turns into a chair and she starts flirting with the chair. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. And there's also an evil cat. So this movie's now in theaters, and I'm gonna tell you, it was honestly a surprise, a pleasant surprise. The movie, although all over the top sometimes, which I feel like is the case for a lot of anime stuff is weirdly heartfelt and entertaining and the characters although sometimes infuriating are also weirdly fun and look I'll be honest with you I watched this movie and I was captivated from start to finish I wanted to just kind of talk about it because it is in theaters now which means you can go it's back in theaters so you can go watch it um again it's one of those things where it's like this weird action thing but it's anime it's anime so it's like a little bit different but I wanted to just kind of say all that stuff um I do recommend that one and with that being said, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. I told you from the beginning yet, I'd have so much to talk about. Um, thank you all for listening. Don't forget you can like this, um, or I guess the podcast, you follow the podcast feed, right? And if you want to check out more great stuff, uh, including all of the things I've, interviews and reviews I've mentioned, then you can go to the Comic Boys um our CB Media Network, YouTube page, podcast page, all of it's all linked. You can also go, you make sure you go to the Instagram so you can uh, enter the Oppenheimer contest. You can follow me on social media at ColorJamal03 and all the other social media stuff will be in the description of the podcast again. Thank you all for watching. Hope you all enjoyed it and we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week.